Do you feel that in a time when we are more connected than ever, we are drifting away from real human connections, especially to ourselves? I do. Hi, I'm Leticia Latino, and I want to invite you to join me and my very inspiring guests in exploring ways to reconnect to your essence, to your definite purpose, to what makes you tick. Are you ready? Hello and welcome Danny Van Leeuwen to Back to Basics. Uh, Danny is a speaker, blogger, host of the Health Hats podcast and patient caregiver activist. When I asked him how he wanted me to introduce him, this is what he said. A two-legged, cisgender, old, I would have never said that, that's why I needed to make it clear, white man of privilege living in a food oasis with multiple sclerosis, committed to health equity and learning and sharing what works for best health. He thinks himself as the Rosetta Stone of healthcare. I love that. Hello, Danny. How you doing? Hi. How are you? Fine. Thanks for having me. No, thank you for saying yes. You know, I before we get into it, I, I also want to tell the audience that you and I did the, the podcasting fellowship together. So we were on that journey as yes. uh, many other people um, together, and you were one of those people, and, and your work, in, you know, definitely made my work feel like unimportant because you have a great initiative and uh, helping a lot of people, and we're going to talk about it. But uh, just by reading what you're doing is just uh, uh, very inspiring. So thank, thank you. you. Thank you for inspiring some of us that are doing just something more, a little bit lighter than what you're dealing with, you know. But uh, so it was actually through our common friends that also did the podcast fellowship, Alistair and Julie Roxanne, that they say, oh, Danny would be great for your podcast because he's had <laughs> some back to basics experiences that uh, that they were sure were going to inspire people. So I'm thankful for, for them bringing this up. And uh, as you probably have heard, maybe from one of the of the previous episodes, I don't know if you've heard, but, you know, I like to start from the beginning and talk about you. We when when I saw your last name, I say, well, you're Dutch, just like my husband. So mm -hmm. tell me about your childhood and, and how you were how you were growing up. Well, I am the child of Holocaust survivors. Okay. Wow. And so my my parents were immigrants. My mother was a German Jew who uh, emigrated to Netherlands uh, in um, I think '37, uh, then went into hiding and for her teenage years. And my paternal grandfather sent his family from um, Netherlands to New York, uh, and they um, landed in New York the day the Nazis invaded, but he got swept up and um, ended up in a concentration camp. So really, that's a really um, major formative years feature. <laughs> I, I believe it. You know, it's interesting because uh, my husband, who was on episode two, I believe, mm -hmm. and he's also Dutch, he's, he shared with us in that episode also how his dad was born on a concentration camp. And uh, so, yeah, it definitely the, where you're from has a big impact on, on the kind of 
childhood that maybe didn't impact you directly, but mm. having parents and grandparents having gone through this kind of stuff, absolutely. I, I imagine yeah. it had a big incidence. It did. I, I think, um, well, I learned about hiding. I imagine, <laughs> unfortunately. And um, I learned about social justice. Um, my parents met in Chicago and after the war, and they, um, were, they were both immigrants. They had a very strong sense of social justice, and, and I, I grew up with that. They were involved with the fair housing movement during the, the civil rights years. Uh, they actually were instrumental in bringing um, Martin Luther King to a uh, white community. Wow. Um, it, it, as part of their, their work. So. Yeah. And, and so you as a child in that mm -hmm. household where you were looking at your parents doing these things, was that something that you were curious about from a young age or you had, what, what were your main interests growing up? I think what were my main interests growing up? I was very much about going to school and doing well in school. My mother was uh, being uh, the German that she was. She did not understand that uh, there were summers off. <laughs> and so um, we had a homework all summer. Mm. You know, we had to write papers and about history, a lot about history. So I was I was steeped in doing well in school, and they were also, while they were upwardly mobile, they were very much into us working and okay. earning a living ourselves and paying for our own, you know, we got a clothing allowance and, um, you know, anything more than that, you want it, you earn it. Yeah, that's uh, definitely very, uh, you know, it's, it comes from a, a culture of scarcity, right? It that does. Where everything had to be earned. Uh, my husband still, even now, say, he has a hard time leaving food on the plate. Yes. Uh, he says this is something uh, that any European uh, that went through the war, you know, like was, you don't, you don't serve yourself what you're not going to eat. And uh, this is something that I personally, because my parents are also uh, Italian, and uh, so I was exposed to that a little bit also, um, that I struggled in the U.S. We struggled with that mm -hmm. uh, since we moved here because here is the culture of abundance and everything is big and there's so much and so much waste in some instances, right, yes. that um, that uh, is a little bit of a struggle. So it's funny you shall mention that. Yes. So, so you did, it sounds like you were working hard during your, your early years. Yes. <laughs> And uh, and so, well, uh, becoming a teenager and going into what eventually was your career, how was that transition? Did you study something that you enjoyed or did you kind of got into it by default or how was that? Well, there's two ways to tell that story. One way to tell that story is that um, my mother was an unhappy, depressed person and I spent many of my young years taking care of her in terms of, you know, she couldn't get out of bed and I would bring her meals. And so I, I came to caregiving that way. On the other hand, I was at a point 
in my um, young life where I had uh, had been a couple of years to university in Detroit and quit. You know, I was, you know, a budding hippie and just dropped out of school. And when I came back, uh, I needed a job. And I had a choice of two jobs. One of the jobs was reading water meters, and the other job was being a psychiatric nurse's aide. And reading water meters paid more, but (laughs) I had to cut my hair. Okay. And I didn't want to cut my hair. So (laughs) I took the psychiatric nurse's aide job, and on that job, they introduced me the idea of going to nursing school. And I did. Okay, that's interesting. I'm curious, though, and I'm going to go backtrack a little bit because you had a strict mom growing up, you just said, and then she let you drop out of school. How was that? Well, my mother was a strict and challenging mother in the early years, but in our teenage years, she was very much into it's your life. You do what you want. I'll support mm-hmm. you. Okay, I, I can see that. I can see that. I think also maybe that's the northern culture. It's almost like because I see it uh, in those countries where you say, "Okay, you're 18, you are on your way, and and now I've given you the your tool set, and right. now you're on your own kind of thing, right?" Yes. Yeah, no, me in the Italian culture, <laughs> you can be 50 living at home, and your parents would be very happy about that. Yeah. I had no interest. That was probably, um, in my teenage years, my overriding sense was to get out of the house. I just, um, I was unhappy with high school. I wanted to graduate as early as I could. So I actually graduated a year early. I went to night school and took summer school, went to summer school so I get enough credits so I could um, graduate early and get the heck out of the house. I see. I see. So so now you're on your way on the nursing mm. path, mm. right? And uh, you, I would take you were passionate about that. You were happy with what you were doing. Yes. I've always, I like people. Yeah, I'm an extrovert. I like people. I'm a caretaker. I'm a caregiver. It comes natural to me. I'm kind of a nosy person, and I feel like being <laughs> uh, a nurse is sort of legal nosiness. I get to, uh, <laughs> you know, I'm part of um, intimate moments in people's lives, and I really enjoy that. I love that, that intimate moments in people's life. Also, I imagine that uh, it's the moments where people are the most vulnerable, right? When you're dealing with sickness and disease it's when you really feel uh, uh vulnerable in fact i read on on your blog post and 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 your podcast is amazing and we'll get to that but um uh, where you say that one of your goals is empowering people as they travel together towards best health. yes best health best so to me best health is we are born with a package of circumstances. We have our genetics, we have our medical condition, we have our social circumstances, we have our physical environment. I think the challenge for people is to live the best life they can given all those circumstances. And so my interest is, well, how does that happen? So I I was really uh, pretty fortunate in my um, nursing career in that 
first of all, I, I started college at a university, Wayne State University in Detroit. And then I went two years and dropped out. And when I decided to go to nursing school, I didn't want to go to the university. I, wanted, I ended up going to Wayne County Community College. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I went there because I wanted a more grassroots, not so academic uh, nursing. And I was part of a class where I was a single white man from the suburbs who had been to school before. And most of my fellow students were um, middle-aged women of color who were just returning um, to school. And so mm-hmm. I knew how to study, and they knew how to eat, and, and, or how <laughs> to cook. I knew how to eat. They knew how to cook. So I, I set up study groups, which we would okay. rotate their houses and I coordinated the study groups and they cooked and I got a real eye-opening sense of health. So that was my my school experience. And while I was going to school, I worked at the uh, Detroit Rehabilitation Institute, which was not so much acute care medicine, but it's people who had had strokes and spinal cord injuries and rheumatoid arthritis and so they were trying to recover. And then my first real professional nursing job was in home care. So I was the first male public health nurse in Western Massachusetts in 1976. And they were dying to hire a guy. And um, mostly new grads don't get hired into home care. But I did. And that was great because that really showed me that you know, we tend to think about healthcare as the doctor's office and the hospital, but not so much. It's at home. Healthcare is at home. Healthcare is in the community. And so my my early days in health, as a professional were in the community, and that really um, helped my uh, outlook, my perspective, my values in health. Yeah. Well, that's, uh, as I had anticipated, very inspiring uh, because the community well-being is something that we often forget. And we as human beings always think about me, 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 and then whomever, whatever is happening to the guy next door is not important until you have mm-hmm. to deal with a similar set of yeah. circumstances. So I know that, and you put this in your description, so you have to deal with MS, so yes. multiple sclerosis. I, ha- I have a dear friend that has to deal with that as well, and uh, I know it's, a, it's, it's a very challenging. In which part of your life did you make that discovery that you had to deal with that and how that impacted that uh, drive that you have to, to help other people achieve their best health? Well, I was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis 11 years ago, but when I was diagnosed, the neurologist said I I had had it already for 25 years. And my wife and I could piece that back um, where I would have episodes where I had weakness or dizziness or fainting or fall off my bike. And since my father died when he was 45 of his second heart attack, I would always get a cardiac workup. 
And by the time the cardiac workup was done, which was always negative, the episode would be passed. Hmm. And it wasn't until, you know, 10, 11 years ago where my ability to adapt, I'm a very adaptable person. And so I am a, the philosophy is I am where, what I am and I'm where I'm at. And okay, now what are we going to do? You know, accepting what mm-hmm. is and adapting. And my string kind of ran out. My ability to adapt. You know, I started falling off my bike. I was having trouble with my vision. I had a new primary care physician. And I would just say to her, something is wrong. And she just dogged it till sent me to this specialist and that specialist. And I don't know, probably six or seven specialists. And then finally, she just said, oh, screw it. We're getting a brain scan. And she ordered a brain scan and it was definitive for multiple sclerosis. So I think that for me, multiple sclerosis is seriously annoying. I don't know that what am I not doing that I could be doing if I didn't have multiple sclerosis. Well, I would probably be walking more than I do, but I'm leading a good life. But I think that I have always been a healthcare professional, felt like it was about the patient's. It wasn't about the clinicians. It wasn't about the hospital. It was about people and their lives and their families. And I think having multiple sclerosis just made me appreciate that all the more. You know, so not only did I have a a professional empathy, I had a personal empathy. And, you know, I've had to deal with, you know, it's one thing to like, you know, mouth all these things and it's another thing to live them. So actually in a way it's really helped my work because you know my my business name is Health Hats and that's because I'm a patient, I'm a caregiver, I'm a nurse, I'm an informaticist, I'm a leader, I wear a lot of hats. And Mm -hmm. that so being a person of privilege plus wearing all those hats I get invited to sit at a lot of tables. So one of my, I feel like one of my responsibilities of being this, you know, old white man of privilege is to open the doors for other people. Because even though it's great that I get seats at these tables, I'm still this old white man of privilege. And I have my perspective, which, you know, I'm a smart guy. And I have a lot of experience, and I'm charismatic, and I'm well-spoken, but I still just have my own experience. And there are so many other experiences, and those experiences, um, there's expertise behind those experiences, but up behind all those other experiences, and they need to be out there. Yeah, no, and I think that's uh, honestly that uh, you uh, created the Health Hat podcast and uh i mean the episodes you have there uh stories first-hand stories from the patients from the people that are living with these circumstances and and i think in your your latest uh series you're um interviewing young adults with Mm -hmm. complex medical conditions and how they're transitioning from pediatric to adult medical care which 
You know, this is something that, again, unless you are dealing with that, you you don't even think about it. I, I have to admit, you know, thank God so far I haven't had mm-hmm. to deal with that. But it's such an important subject because everybody around us has to deal with that circumstances that you mentioned before. And sometimes we just yeah. don't even know about Well, it. a couple of things in what you're saying. First of all, I've been blogging for six years weekly. And and mm-hmm. since I took this uh, fellowship, now I'm uh, a podcasting weekly. Uh, so my blog has evolved into the podcast. I went from being a student of individual health, so a nurse working with individuals, to being a student of organizational health and realizing that the context in which we all operate and try to manage ourselves is in our organizations. And so I became a director, vice president of quality management in various uh, healthcare venues. And one of the things that, that I learned over the years is that professions People who have expertise are usually very good in the narrowness of their expertise. And where the problems come up are in the cracks, are in the boundaries. So if somebody is a cardiologist, they are not so comfortable or familiar with surgery or comfortable or familiar with neurology or caregiving, or community health, you know, they, they're expert in their narrow channel. And so it's, but health crosses hundreds, hundreds of boundaries. And the challenges that we have in healthcare are often across those boundaries. And so if you think about the dilemma of young adults with complex illnesses transitioning from pediatric to adult medicine, oh my God, it's like a million um, cracks, a million boundaries. It's a never-ending series of boundaries. So for a guy like me, it's like, it's like playing in a sandbox, you know, that to, to try to explore that world, you know, of all those boundaries and cracks and transitions that people are having to make. Another thing I would say to that as a blogger, you know, a blogger is full of himself, you know, just like here I am. Danny's got these thoughts and you, you every week I for six years I would like write my thoughts but podcasting is a lot more listening and exploring other people's experiences so it's been sort of not sort of it's been great to do interviewing and and to explore so now that you know this population of young adults a parent, then the two of them together at various stages in their lives. So uh, whether that's somebody who's in high school, who's like a young, young adult, uh, to somebody who's in college, an older young adult, to people who are, um, you know, in their 20s and their 30s, you know, so along the progression 
with different challenges that they're dealing with has been fascinating, absolutely fascinating. Uh, no, I believe it. And also because I think we're also transitioning as a community where um, the digital era and these kind of tools are making us a little bit more open with our experiences, whether it's before it was, you know, may maybe a medical condition was mm -hmm. like kept secret and no one had to know. And now we are realizing, I think, as human beings, the power of inspiring others and saying, you're not alone. I went through this. This is how you can handle this. And, and this support, community support that's arising from podcasts right. such as yours. And hopefully that's why it seemed very interesting for for me to have you in this podcast is because you just made me aware of stuff I wasn't aware of. Mm. And now I'm interested because, um, you know, as a human being and all this, you see so many people dealing with conditions and you don't know if you're going to be handed that yeah. card at some point. And so as such, we have to be sensitive to what's going on around us. And so definitely, I think uh, increasing awareness and just making, even with a few more people that you make aware of, of something going on, you already put in, you know, a, a big contribution back into the universe. And uh, so I think that that's very admirable. And, uh, and so I know that in your journey, you do uh, mm. interesting stuff. And I, I learned, and you mentioned you just did, well, I don't know how long, but I think it was recent, the, the yes. Camino de Santiago. Yeah, really, we just got home a couple of weeks Spain. ago. And that is fantastic. I know that a lot, I know a lot of people that have done it and, you know, have described it as a transformational experience. So I'm curious to hear about, about your own experience doing that. Well, my wife is a hiker. And she's every year she does a big hike. So she's done the Grand Canyon rim to rim a couple of times uh, and other hikes like that, strenuous hikes. And, and I can't hike, so I stay home. But when she was talking about going to Spain and hiking in Spain, I said, well, I am, I'm, I'm going. <laughs> and then it was like, okay, well, how am I mm -hmm. going to go? Because I'm a... Uh, a two-cane walker, and my I walk every day, and I walk between 3,500 and 5,000 steps a day, uh, but mostly she walks around the block with me and drops me off and then does her walk. So I ended up, um, ex I ended up getting a wheelchair, an, a, an electric wheelchair, and we experimented with, uh, you know, flying and taking the bus and taking the train and going to strange cities and you know so i i my my um while while her preparation was to walk 10,000 steps a day 12,000 steps a day you know mine was to figure out my mobility enhancers so that i could go mm -hmm. and then um through a couple of uh, friends and colleagues who had done the Camino, uh, they turned me on to Marley Camino, which is a, a travel agency out of Madrid that they provide service for people with disabilities and help them arrange their uh, pilgrimage. And so I sent them 
a video of my capabilities. So me walking up and down a couple of steps with my canes, folding the wheelchair and putting it in the car with my wife and me motoring around. And I sent that to them along with the itinerary that my wife wanted to take. And so then they booked places to stay that were accessible and arranged for a driver, various track taxi drivers, to uh, transport me from town to town so that I was able to go and enjoy some of it. So it was a hoot. So I needed to have something to do besides hiking since I wasn't hiking. So I brought my podcasting equipment and um, podcasted uh, from the Camino, which were are the two episodes oh, wow. that you may have heard um, recently, uh, which was really a lot of fun. And it really made it, you know, because they would come home and they'd be talking about their feet and their sore legs and, you know, their equipment. And, and you know, that was really not um, – <laughs> I could be sympathetic and listen, but I wasn't really part of those conversations. So I had something to do. That was my own, which was nice. Well, that's uh, no, I, I imagine, and that really takes me well into into the next question, as as uh, which is, you know, if I usually uh, ask in the in the opinion of whomever I'm interviewing, what do you think it takes to have a fulfilled life? Mm. So, from your perspective, you know, you you just went through a very a exciting, mm-hmm. profound journey, and you just made it your own. You decided what was going to be so that you feel happy and fulfilled and you mm-hmm. didn't feel you weren't doing. So what would you say t- it takes, you know, to to have a fulfilled life, even when those circumstances are well, not ideal? I mean, I think, I think I, it's, I, there's a healthy dose of genetics and luck. In, in this. And, and I say that because I am really fortunate that um, I was born pathologically optimistic. And mm-hmm. I had a, a son who, who passed away and, and, uh, in his 20s. And we used to, we used to think about Sorry what were me. our superpowers. And we decided that we both had the same superpower, which was accepting what is. And accepting what is, is it, what it's not is accepting what is and then woe is me. It's accepting what is and then now what are we going to do, you know? So I feel like I, <laughs> yes, I can yes. thank my parents because I feel like this is genetic and learned. Learned in that you got to make the best of what you got. And... <laughs> So I think there's that. And I think I'm also, I'm not afraid to get help. You know, I mean, it has been something that's, the transition of thinking about myself as a person with multiple sclerosis or thinking about myself as a person with disability, that's a transition. You know, it it is, uh, it took me you know, on the one hand, I'm an adaptable guy and I just, okay, here I am. I, I've got this and this is my capabilities. And then there's, you know, the 2 a.m. terrors where, you know, crap, 
I've got multiple sclerosis. This sucks. And oh, this new thing. And is am I getting worse? And you know, it's a progressive disease. And is like, is this mean I'm progressing? And you know, so. But I guess I think so. I'm benefit with I have a positive outlook that I'm adaptable. I have a very strong family. I've been married 44 years. I've got great kids. Um, Congrats. We live in Boston because our grown children moved to Boston, and we're we're family folk. And we quit our jobs and sold a house and moved to Boston to be with our kids. And um, we live in a duplex where my older son and his family live upstairs. So we we that's awesome. So having family, it doesn't hurt that I'm a old white man of privilege. <laughs> That's why you keep saying it. Well, but that's good because then you're realizing that, uh, you know, that's, uh, that was one of the lucky Very circumstances. Much. And I have a really good team. Uh, I work hard at a team, you know, the team, the medical team. I have, a, a, you know, the uh, my a primary care physician, neurologist, and then a slew of specialists, uh, acupuncture, chiropractic, massage therapy, physical therapy. My family, you know, so I have a really good team of people that support me. And you need it. I mean, I need it. I need help. Well, I I think we all do. That's a very savvy thing that you're saying is not to be afraid to ask for help when you need it. You know, I know you sent me questions. And one of the questions you sent me, which was actually the hardest question for me, was, do you have a bucket list? And, you know, I don't. You know, I'm a person Mm -hmm. that... I just do it, you know? Yeah. You know, you know, it's funny you mentioned that because I send yeah. a list of example questions and then I ask them depending what I think. And for whatever reason, I thought you didn't have a bucket list. And that's why I, I, but I that's don't. funny you mentioned. I mean, I would say, though, that that since we did the Camino, for me, that I could do it. You know, that we could spend two weeks in a country where my worst handicap was I didn't speak Spanish and I have a terrible sense of direction, Um, not my mobility, (laughs) made me realize or gave me confidence. And so now my wife and I are thinking more about, well, what are we going to do next? You know, and so so I think, uh, you know, that 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 was a big that was a big deal. That is simply awesome because I think you made something that seemed impossible possible. And I just, uh, a couple of episodes ago, well, for my 20th episode, I, I mentioned that, that how I get inspired mm-hmm. or what makes me tick is to inspire others in believing that whatever they don't think it's possible is possible, you know, and through certain experiences. And this is definitely a big a big advocate to that theory that, you know, sometimes yeah. we cut ourselves short into what we can do because we think about the the problems that we're going to encounter. Oh, I'm not going to be able to go in a wheelchair. And, you know, I, I would have thought of people saying, well, you know, although the, the rocks in the, on the streets and all this stuff, um, I hear yeah. it with traveling with kids, you know, when people tell us, you know, you guys are crazy. We'd be we're taking our kids everywhere and say, yeah, you just I think make it that, happen. Um, I certainly worried about a lot before we went and it went very well. But I think that, I mean, certainly having the the idea that it was possible and then not being too married to what was going to happen. 
made a difference mm-hmm. because I could not have predicted this experience. You know, I mean, the idea of would my chair be able to drive on cobblestones? I, you know, I, you know, <laughs> I mean, what was I going to do when the gravel was too yeah. big? You know, I mean, somebody came along and carried me along. You know, I mean, it, it, so it's it's okay. I can do it, but it isn't going to be the way I thought. Yeah, yeah, and that's that's it. Yeah, we cannot. There's things right. we can control and things we can't control. So that that's good. Well, and Danny, I mean, you read the list. Yeah. You know, I'm going to ask as the last question is what makes you tick. Is there anything that you haven't shared or, you know, in particular, can you put it in a few words? What really excites you about waking up? Well, what really excites me to wake up is that uh, um, another day with my honey, another day with my family. I have a couple of grandkids and they're the light of my life and my my sons and their wives. Uh, So that uh, is a great motivation for me. I feel, you know, I, I've gotten to the point where I don't really expect much change in our healthcare system. And whereas in the past, you know, I was driving for big change. And now I realize that it's really about the small things. And, you know, what, what, people do together, what families do together, that inspires me. And so I love hearing about what people do that works for them as they're trying to uh, attain best health. Well, that's a great answer. And I think um, gives us something to think about. It's really about the small things. I love to close with that because sometimes we focus on the big picture and we forget that our lives is. is made of a ton of small yes. things that really make the difference. And having learned that you have your uh, family very close to you, that you live, you know, close to, to mm-hmm. your kids and to your grandkids, it really uh, makes me happy knowing that that's make you thick. And I thank you. I thank you on behalf of everybody that, uh, you know, has a voice in you to advocate for them and uh, all your, the sh- in the show notes, I'm going to share all Thank the you. links to your mm-hmm. amazing podcast, Healthy Hats, mm-hmm. uh, Health Hats actually. And uh, and I look forward to uh, seeing a lot more of where you're going in this journey, Danny. So thank, thank you. you so much. Thank you so much. Great talking to you. Thank you. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. And until the next time. Bye.